Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Cotton in a Rocket Ship. I am your host, Lennox Mars Jr. And I know I haven't been here for a while, but a lot has happened. And for my listeners, I would always like to digest the information and give it to you pretty much when I've had wrestled with it so I can give my perspective and and not give it to you while I'm kind of like emotionally constricted or emotionally invested into a topic and um, so far uh, today I've, I've probably been away since Tuesday last Tuesday and um my last posting was probably the 23rd and today is the 29th so it's been a while but um so far there have been more protests more march more marches but I've seen a lot of um not that it has it has it happened before but I'm seeing a lot of, of resistance in the form of people holding guns towards protesters pointing guns towards protesters and most of these protesters um, are peaceful and I've been seeing a lot of posts online that um, some of the quote-unquote protesters were get are getting paid money and some incentives to loot and riot and um, I know I talked about this in infiltration so I kind of figured that this was going to happen but with the media they're just going to put it off on as protesters Um, even as of recently they had bricks just a pile of bricks someone was dropping off a pile of bricks in the um in the site of the protest. So where the protesters were going to march, they're just a random pile of bricks sitting there for someone to use as a, as weaponry or projectiles to throw at the police or throw at businesses and break windows and things of that nature. Um, I knew that was gonna happen, so those of you who are marching please be safe and who are peaceful marching please be safe and realize that a lot of things are happening even with the marchers themselves and strange fruit popping up which are african-american men and women being hung on trees so to all my listeners just be safe because a lot of things are going terribly wrong. But um, today I wanted to give a piece because I and I wanted to give a piece that that isn't on the book, but I just wanted to make it relative to everything is relative to to what we talk about in Cotton and a Rocket Ship because it's detailing my life in a, a framework of of race from boyhood to manhood and I, I try to elaborate as best as possible that race is not just black and white 
It can be black and Asian. It can be Asian and black. It could be black and black. It can be people of different colors and hues. There are many different nuances. So I try my best to tell you about the nuances. I can tell you about the microaggressions, whether it's workplace related, all of the facets of it. And um, that was how I wanted to frame it. But today, uh, this is season one, episode 30. And I wanted to name this episode Parasite. And this is for one of the... This is one of the poems that didn't make it. And it just didn't fit well. So for those who are listening in, Cotton in a Rocket Ship, I made about... Only 25 poems is making the book. And each, and there's roughly a, probably about five illustrations. So it's a very relatively small book, but I just wanted to make it very concise to the point and very impactful. But um, I have roughly about close to almost 100 drafts, probably 96 drafts that I, um, that didn't make the cut. But they're all relevant because these things happen so when I write these things it's not that it's because they just didn't make the cut but they're relative so it's almost like a director he has probably like 10 hours of footage but he has to make a movie no more than two hours or three hours the longest so if he has 10 hours of footage there's seven hours of of things he has to cut so there are some things that didn't make the cut and he wouldn't have had the shots selected or actually shot and made this production if he didn't think he was going to use it. So that's kind of like the same thing with me. I have a lot of information that I can use. Um, and it's very relative for today. But it, I just, maybe I'll probably use it for another book. But I'll just use it today. And the reason why I'm saying this episode is Parasite is because I recently saw a debate with uh, Candace Owens and Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. Um, Dr. Ma- Lamar- Mark Lamont Hill is a he's a professor, a tenure professor at Temple University, and he he has his doctorate, and he he teaches at Temple. He's a professor at Temple, and Candace Owens is a a right-wing Republican, and she is a Trump supporter. I don't know her academic background, but she she labels herself as um, a Republican, a right-wing Republican, and um, they have this dialogue. And I, she had some very good points, and he had some very good points. And she brought up the topic that um, in our community, and I'm speaking as, you know, in the black community, the African-American community, that we don't care about black on black violence. And for my audience, I don't like the term black on black violence because it is used as a 
deflection. So in language, if you don't want to engage in a conversation or if you don't want to engage in a topic, you deflect it and you redirect it onto the person who you're having the argument to. So black people in America, we talk about police brutality. We talk about states violence. We talk about police violence. And um, the argument, which I feel as though is a very weak argument, people bring up is, well, why don't you talk about black on black crime? Um, And to me, that's apples and oranges. Black on black crime is one, an issue of itself. So I like to keep the issues in nice compartmentalized boxes. So black on black violence, we have strategies to combat black on black violence. And we have strategies to combat police brutality and police violence. And each strategy is totally different. And each one has its it's deep rooted in the black community that we really do care about black and black violence. For, for example, in Newark alone, when I was a part of Newark Student Voices and being civically engaged, they would stage safety walks every year. They would have a Stop the Violence campaign every year on some of the most notorious blocks in Newark, New Jersey. And this is around the country for very um, almost every urban environment so if you if if you really want to be invested in in looking this up just google stop the violence marches and you'll probably see one in every major city in america each year over abundance of years whether it's google events whether it's um event bright events or facebook events you will see that we really do have a concerted effort more than any community to, to combat black on black violence. But I, I also beg the question and I also present the argument that black on black violence is, is not really an issue as propagated as they say it is. It's just used as a deflection. Black on black violence is at 95%, but that's a crime of proximity. White-on-white violence is at 80%, 85%, excuse me. Asian-on-Asian violence is in the 80s as well. Um, ours is a little bit higher, but the reason it's higher is because of resources. For me, you know, that's my argument, and that's, uh, that's what I believe. It's resources. If you have a scarcity of resources in any community, if you have a lack of edu- education in any community, you're going to have violence. Uh, in sociology, a number one, two indicators of violence is education and jobs. And if you are able to to provide a means to, for someone to provide and an opportunity for them to learn, violence is tremendously reduced. So that is what we need essentially in our community. But Everyone would would bring up the argument of what about black on black violence in order to deflect police brutality, which is, is happening in America. So they had a very back on back and forth argument in 
one, she pretty much didn't, she kind of deflected the argument of police brutality, stating that it's not really a serious issue in our community. Um, because the numbers, she say, states that more white men are being harmed by the police and we are the ones who are the aggressors in a lot of the situations which I don't agree with but I I see how she framed the argument to make it seem that we we are the aggressors but if you understand that if police stop us at two to three times higher than any other race of people you will have a a negative effect right so if i'm being stopped if i be if i'm stopped just say three times each week and there's only 52 weeks in a year i i have a right to to be angry i have a right to be a human being that doesn't denote that i i have to die because of it or i have to be beaten to a bloody pulp to exclaim that i I'm I'm angry about something, uh, but I do understand her point that she was saying that we resist arrest often. But however, if our interactions are more frequent and more negative, because there are studies that show that police interactions are vastly different than white, um, their our white counterparts, but. I would encourage everyone to see it because it's a very good debate. Um, I don't agree with um, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill in everything, in every regard. I don't. And I don't agree with um, Miss Candace Owens. I just don't agree with both of them because they're both on very polar opposites. And I'm pretty much, um, if you were to categorize me, I, I would be more so independent boy, or if you want to categorize me, which I really don't like categorizing people so much as far as their political views, because I think it should, it should switch on what benefits you or benefits your community at the time. That's how I feel. But if you were to label me, I'd probably be somewhere in between like a concert, no moderate, um, more leaning towards a little bit more liberal but there's some things that i just don't agree with being quote-unquote liberal so I'm, I'm just in a weird category in space but going into the piece i wanted to talk about how crime and how incarceration is viewed in in my lens and that's why i made the the poem Parasite, because um, black people are dollar for dollar affected by and is affected by um, incarceration. They, you know, the the school to prison pipeline, the prison industrial complex. We are directly affected by it, and. Um, it hits our pockets more than anything else. So I will go into Parasite.
just give me a second I am sorry I have to pull it up and I'm very rusty Parasite. You're breaking your mother's heart and her pockets. 50 hour work week savings account depleted on your account. Pleading with a judge that's seen the same story with thousands of black faces and now he wants mercy. In his heart, he has no love. Lawyers paid with home equity bail bonds the same. Eventually a GoFundMe for the funeral family pooling what little money they have and you mad. Have you no shame? Empty apologies, but you didn't see a younger sibling school clothes eating sardines and corned beef for months. Bathing with cold water. Going to school teas because mommy couldn't explain the circumstances they see. When you was getting money, stunting on Instagram, did you bother paying for their lunch? You understretched, but your family feels the pain. Rubber coats for the rain, denim coats for the snow, sneakers all year round to weather the terrain. You bleed us dry. And wonder why we have nothing left to give. Because you took it all. And you gave it to your homies. Then you want us to share your bid? Nigga, I'm not sending you no letters. I have already given you enough. Parasite. So Parasite is a combination of the pain that families feel when going through the the back and forth with the judicial system and how we as black families endure it. So it's not just the person who's doing the time or the individual or your your cousins or your families or your loved ones it's the actual family that's doing it it's the family that has to pull in what whatever expendable income that they have in order to to give this person a chance to fight the or get a good lawyer um it's it's always the families that have to pull in and usually they're, they're they're putting up thousands of dollars for lawyers and they're not sure that the outcome of any case. So it's always the families that have to put forth the burden and they're they're putting in their the, the little money that they have. They're leveraging their their savings, their the equity in their homes whatever it is their pensions their 401ks in order to give their loved one a shot and um 
and I'm speaking from very personal experience that I, I have had, um, unfortunately, I've had had um, a number of, of family who've undergone this process, and um, there isn't anything contrite about it. There isn't any recompense. They actually are doing the same exact things. Um, and everyone has counseled, talked, provided money, provided um, funding, provided whatever you name it. They did. Uh, we have at you know at the expense of our our, our livelihoods, and um, it's not rewarded. And so this is a constant thing that black communities go through, black families go through, is that they just want their loved ones to to do better and um it seems to be it has fell on deaf ears and um it falls directly on the shoulders of of mom or if there's dad present dad and then the children um Just, just personal experience. Personal experience. I, I remember my 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 mom explaining to me when I when I got older. You know, they never tell you the stories then, but it's just explaining to me. I remember my dad had a BMW. It's probably like nineteen ninety, like a nineteen ninety BMW. It was brand new. And um, I always say that, like, you know, when I get some some really expendable income, I'll probably get the same BMW. It's a, you know, small, boxy BMW. But this this thing was like the, the West Indian Batmobile. You know, this thing was was lovely, was clutch. And I even have a picture sitting down on it as a, as a child. And um, for whatever reason, my, my, my father was in, incarcerated and... Um, my mom told me that she had to use, had to to give she had to use that she had she literally gave the pink slip she gave the the title to the um to the lawyer in order to 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 fund his um his is pretty much fund his legal fees and i was like damn what happened to the BMW as a little kid. And um, even with my cousins, man, families would pool in thousands of dollars, man, thousands of dollars, family. And then you, as a kid, you, you don't realize that you're suffering, you know? Like, why mommy is cooking sardines and corned beef, you know? Fortunately, I never had a, I never had to experience a day without a, a a meal, a hot meal. But you do remember, you know, a lot of potatoes. <laughs> um I laugh, but at the time there's nothing it's nothing funny about it. Because this is is common, you know, aunts have to you know, they're being surrogate mothers to their their nieces their nephews informal adoption families having to 
to take out the equity out of their homes, going back to whatever money that you had saved up in your 30-year mortgage. And say if you're on year 10, you know, you're taking out equity in order to, instead of using that money in order to to leverage and get more businesses or more homes, you're doing that is going directly into the criminal justice system. And they're not getting that money back. You're not seeing that money back. And that's the game within the game. And um, just from the outside looking in, I just remember, remember those days. Very, very um, troubling times. Very troubling times. When you when you wake up and you see your mother just crying on a on the sofa, just all alone, and you know she's sheltering you as best you could from from the the circumstances, but as as children you see it. So we we as black people we we care deeply about us wanting to stop the violence because it it hurts us it hurts us because we lose family members it hurts us because there's no winners there's no winners in in in, in any of this and the losers always fall down to the good people you know your moms your aunts your uncles are the ones that's running the straight path and just trying to figure it out and um they're the ones who coming up with the money but then you you have this 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 deep rooted mentality, whether it's it's part of the gang mentality, or um, or a just a, a entrenched street mentality where they just don't it, it, there's no switch up there's no there's nothing about it that you would want to that you you would hope they fix. Because there's just some people that want to live that lifestyle. We we are deeply impacted by and care about black on black violence, whether it's whether it's a, a misnomer or whether it, it doesn't exist or not. We care deeply about it. We care deeply about hurting someone that looks like us. We do is stop the violence this this but more importantly it's the children that suffer whether if there's a shootout there's a, a young child being hit you know i know chicago is cold, cold word for how all black people are viewed but they're not doing anything substantial and when I mean substantial, there there is no there's no economic base. The, I already said the two things that that reduces crime, education, and jobs. Money reduces crime. Having the the ability to pay, having the ability to to learn some skills in the marketplace. Some of these guys, and for example, some of my cousins. Not, you know, whatever, well, the business is out there is that they never had formal jobs. Some of the homies that I knew, they never had a formal job in their life. 
They can't switch up. But they were never given an opportunity to have a formal job, to learn how to make an honest, an honest living. And so now they just become a parasite to the community. To our community, but we know that once they hit the prison industrial complex, they're they're worth month they're worth thousands of dollars a year. You do a mandatory three to five sentence each year, you taxpayer dollars is sixty thousand to house, feed and clothe you. It would have just been beneficial to give someone the money. Everyone can do with $60,000. If you give someone $60,000, that's a full-time job right there. And the way it, the system operates is they, they're making prison luxurious. They, they're making it comfortable. These guys are ordering pizza, cell phones. It's, they get order movies and hot showers ACLU is telling you they they get hot showers they have to have hot showers and and three square meals not saying that the prison is is luxurious by no means it, it isn't but when you understand the reason why they're making it more accommodating is to increase recidivism. To increase the chance that you do go back there. And if you don't understand that capitalism plays a point and plays a part in black bodies, brown bodies being in that system... You are far gone because there are some there's prisons traded on the stock exchange right now. Prisons have stock in America. Prisons have have a contract with the federal government to keep a certain amount of prisons filled so then how do you now look at your police they are not they are not administrators of justice neither are your judges they are servants to a corporation that has a num a quota to keep prisons filled, but we fall into it. So I I do understand that there's a personal responsibility, there is a personal and moral responsibility for yourself to not err on the side side of wrong. However, when you have an environment that is doing everything in its power to to have you in jail to strip you of your freedom because our freedom is is because of the 13th amendment the 14th amendment our freedom is is conditional 
Our freedoms can be stripped away once we become incarcerated. That's why they take away the right to vote. But going back to the peace parasite, we 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 are fed up of of crime. We are fed up of the way things go in our communities. But we we are just come almost the inheritors of of what we have now. Like I remember talking to my barber and good friend. I said I don't I don't know I, I don't know a a community post pre crack era. I only know communities post crack era. I don't know what it's like to to have a community, a black urban community that that was loving and giving. All I knew, all I saw from 1990, once I became a child from 1990, whether it was Miami-Dade and then moving to Newark, New Jersey, was a lot of graffiti, broken bottles, and fiends. And burnt down buildings. That's what I remember from the 90s. And then the explosion of gangs in the 2000s. But I hope you guys enjoyed. This is Cotton in a Rocket Ship. Peace.